Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. morning. Today's scripture is Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 through 42. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Are not one, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my father who's in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword, for I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, He will by no means lose his reward. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. Good to see you again. This is my my third consecutive time preaching at New King Church, the most times I have preached at church. Oh, (laughs) said my brother. (laughs) Those of your own household will betray you. So, <clears throat> so here's what we're seeing in this passage. The Lord craves a bold Christian witness. He craves a people who are unashamed of him. He craves someone who will proclaim his mysteries. He craves a people who fear him more than they fear man. He craves a people who embrace suffering as his plan. So after commissioning his apostles to go in power, Jesus describes the harsh reality of being his witness, that you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But now Jesus has a very different message. He says, have no fear of them. Though they'll hate you, though your government will falsely accuse you, Though you'll be tried in their courts, flogged in their holy places, though they will esteem it a service to God to kill you, though your own family will betray you to death, 
Even so, have no fear of them. So Jesus, how can, how can he tell us to have no fear of them after painting this very clear picture of what they will do to us? Well, it's because of a few powerful truths that Jesus now shares with his disciples. Powerful principles, promises to breathe courage into the Christian witness. I like to call them principles for a radical Christian witness. Because when you believe these principles, you can do no other but be a radical witness. So let's pray and invite the Spirit to be our teacher. Heavenly Father, oh, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your church, these dear people, these brothers and sisters of ours that you have brought together to teach, to proclaim to them your word. Lord, broaden our hearts today. Broaden our hearts to receive these promises by faith that we do not have to fear them, that we do not have to be afraid, that we can have a perfect boldness and a confidence in you and in your love and in your gospel. Teach us today, Lord. Teach us to fear you. Teach us to love the mysteries of your word, the mysteries that you have taught us. Teach us to know the depths of your love for us. Teach us to confess you boldly, Lord, and guide your flock today in your way. Shepherd your church, and we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. May you do it for your glory. Amen. So the first powerful principle that Jesus encourages the Christian witness with is this. Everything must be revealed. Everything must be revealed. What is hidden must be made known. He says this, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. There's at least two ways that this principle can give courage to us, to the Christian witness. The primary way is this, that the gospel of Christ must be made known. You see, a secret has been given to us. It's called the mystery of godliness by Paul. It was hidden for ages. According to Peter, prophets and angels searched and inquired into these deep matters. They longed to know, to look upon these mysteries, but it was not told to them, to prophets and to angels. It was revealed to you. It was revealed to us, to the church of Christ, in and through Christ. And that is the word that we have been given, that word of the gospel. That is the word of the revelation that must go forward, that must be made known. Listen to how Jesus applies this principle in Luke 8, 16 through 18, in the parable of the lamp. He says this, No one, after lighting a lamp, 
covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. So you see there's a promise. If only we will be careful to make known what he has given to us. Do you see, he did not put light into lamps just to have them hidden away. He did not put a light in New King Church just to have it put in the way. He did not put a light into you to have it hidden away. He did not reveal the mystery of the gospel to you so that you may hide it in your head. He takes lamps for the purpose of shining light on a dark world. And he tells us the secret of the gospel so that we might make it known. The secret is for the telling. You see, we must be fearless to witness what we have heard and seen from God in Christ. We must proclaim and preach this mystery loudly to the world. That is the duty of the Christian witness. For what is hidden, it must be made known. But there's a secondary encouragement from this principle. Everything must be revealed. And that means that those who hate you will be exposed. Everything must be revealed, including the enemies of the gospel. What our enemies do in deceit and malice, it will be revealed, every thought and intention. Jesus is saying, they will be exposed, so do not fear them. I think of the Pharisees. They were the ultimate enemies of Christ. They hated Jesus, and eventually, because of his witness, they had him killed. And yet, they promoted themselves as moral, as kind, as just, as righteous, as charitable. That was their PR stunt. They were praised by men. They were called good and righteous and rabbi, teacher, even as they condemned the Holy One of God to death. So here's what Jesus says about them in a passage that parallels today's passage. It's Luke 12, 1 through 3. Throughout that passage later, you see that he is saying exactly the same things he's saying here, just different ways. And here in Luke 12, Jesus directly relates this principle to exposing his enemies, the enemies of the gospel. He says this, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Does it sound like familiar language? He's applying this principle in a different way. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, having nothing more that they can do. 
You see, Jesus is saying that the enemies of the gospel, they will be revealed. They will be exposed. Though they have their time now, they will be shown for what they really are, enemies of all that is good and right, enemies of God, enemies of the gospel. Ultimately, in the courts of God, they will be exposed, and perhaps they will even be exposed in this life. The encourager behind this application is this. God is just. He is just. His justice will be shown. So that is the first principle by which he tells his witnesses, in the face of this hatred, in the face of this persecution, do not fear them. Do not be afraid of them. For everything must be revealed. Christ encourages them in this way. My message must be revealed, and your enemy's lying hypocrisies must also be revealed. So do not fear them. The second principle with which Christ gives them courage for their witness, it's in verse 28. You may want to look at it. Verse 28, he says this, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The second principle is this. Fear the Lord instead. Fear the Lord instead. This principle, it snatches away the power of fear from the persecutor. It snatches away their power to kill. It snatches away their power to deal out true death. You see, we are constantly being taught to fear what man can do to us. The most terrifying thing I think that most of us can imagine in the U.S. is being abducted and tortured by a serial killer, right? There is a very similar and a very real fear for the Christian witness who is absolutely vulnerable to physical torture and bodily destruction. It is experienced by our brothers and sisters around the world every day. And it would be a bit arrogant of us, I think, to think that it couldn't happen to us as well for our Christian witness. But in the face of that reality, Jesus says this, that really isn't so bad. It's really not as bad as you think it is. Being tortured and murdered, that's not the worst thing that could happen to you. The worst thing that could happen to you is to fall into the hands of the living God, to fall into the hands of the God of wrath. That is the most terrifying thing that could happen to a person. For the Christian witness, vulnerable to physical abuse and torture, for their witness, this is an encouraging thought. No matter how badly they ravage me, no badly how badly, no, no matter how badly they disfigure me, I will be resurrected and be made whole. They do not have the power to destroy me utterly or to torture me utterly. They do not have the power of death over me. Jesus took that power away from the enemy. In Jesus Christ, the sting of death has been removed. This is but a temporary affliction. It will end. It will end. But to take this principle further, Jesus is surely telling his Christian witness to fear the Lord instead. Do not fear them, but fear the Lord instead. 
well, why should I fear the Lord? What's this fear of the Lord stuff? Isn't that Old Testament God? No, same God. This goes along with what Jesus says in verse 32 and 33. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. If we deny Christ in the face of whatever it may be, of opposition, persecution, execution, a trial, a mob, then there is a promise, I will deny you before my Father. If you deny him, he will deny you. But you may say, I love you, Jesus, but I love you. I believe in you. Then why did you deny me? If that's really true. I was afraid. I was afraid of what they would do to me. I feared them. And Jesus will say, you should have feared me more. The apostle Peter, he denied Christ three times. In fact, all the apostles in Jesus' most dire need denied him. But you know, it was only Judas' denial of our Lord that brought him to hell. And that is because he did not have a faith that leads to repentance. But Peter repented. And you know what he did for the rest of life? He, he held fast to the name of Christ all the way through, even until his later years when he was hung upside down on a cross. He still clung to the name of Jesus. And that was true of all the other disciples who were slain for the name of Christ. They held fast. They repented from their denial of him at the garden. And then they said and proclaimed and acknowledged him at their own cross. Jesus has this promise in verse 22. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Have you denied the Lord in your witness? Have you been ashamed of him or of his gospel, of his word? Well, today there is hope for you. It's not too late. You have not become Judas yet. That is not your destiny yet. You can turn from your sin. You can deny yourself instead, and you can proclaim Christ. You can confess him boldly. So church, I just... I adjure you by Christ. Put your fear into the right place. Put your fear not in man, but in Christ. And when you fear Christ more than men, your witness to men will be utterly confident. So that's the second principle by which Jesus encourages his witnesses in the face of hatred. Fear the Lord instead. And the third principle, he encourages them with this. The Lord values you. The Lord values you. What a big change up, right? He's, all, he's giving us a roller coaster of encouragement. The Lord values you. Read verses 29 through 31. He says this. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. 
but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. The Lord cares for the things that are little in the eyes of men. How much more does he regard us, his children, his precious ones? He deals with us in loving kindness. That word has been hitting me lately, loving kindness. And if he deals with us with a special kind of love, how much more does he care for us in persecution? He knows us intimately, every hair on our head. He knew me before I was formed, Psalm 139, before I was even a thought in the thought, the minds of men. He had me in his eye. Out of all the world, he chose me. Before the foundations of the world, he chose me. And what did he choose me for? For the riches of his grace. He chose me for the blood atonement of Christ. For justification before his court, before his throne. He chose me for the inheritance of all things. He chose me for the glory of resurrection and for abundant and eternal life. He predestined me for all this before he even founded the world. How can we think then that the Lord would surrender us to suffering on a whim? How can we think that our Lord is a sadist? He values us. We are most precious to him, especially then in the suffering that leads to death. Listen to the word in Psalm 116, 15. Precious. In the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And in Psalm 72, 14, from oppression and violence, he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. Precious. He does not give us up to death on a whim. Our deaths are precious to him just as Christ's was. So with this principle, the Lord encourages his witnesses in the face of hatred. The Lord values you. You are precious in his eyes. Though the world would treat your life as less than nothing, your life is a precious treasure in the eyes of our King. You are precious. But take this principle further. And understand this mystery. The Lord values you so much that he actually planned for you to suffer. He planned for you to endure suffering. He planned for you to receive glory through a cross. Just as he planned for Christ to receive his glory through what he suffered through the cross. He plans for you to be taught by the road of suffering, just as Christ was so taught. What does the scripture say of Jesus' suffering? It says this in Hebrews 5.8. Although he was a son, precious and beloved by the Father, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect... He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. 
if he was willing to put his most precious and beloved son through suffering in order to teach him, do you not think that he will also do this with us, his precious children? The answer is yes. And it is because we are precious. It is because he has great things in store for those who endure through suffering, for those who hold steadfast the name of Jesus till the end. Amen. Listen to how he teaches us through suffering in Romans 5, 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. This is the call of the New Testament over and over again. We rejoice in our sufferings. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So why does God plan our suffering? It is because the Lord's primary purpose in our lives is not our comfort. It is to sanctify us. That is, it is to set us apart for himself. That is his ultimate purpose for us. He is setting apart his bride, his beloved, the church, by what she suffers. He is dressing her in the silks of the righteous deeds of the saints. And those glorious deeds are the deeds of endurance through suffering. Our beauty church, it shines through suffering. Listen to how God treasures our suffering and how he plans for us to endure suffering as Christ did in 1 Peter 2, 19 through 23. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? That's not the kind of suffering. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. To this you have been called, church. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. That's what the scripture says, that he left us an example by what he suffered. Leaving us an example so that you might follow in his steps. So that you might take up your cross and follow him. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. This is the example of Christ that we are to take. You see, God surrenders his beloved to suffering because he values his beloved. Because we are beautiful for what we suffer even as our faith is made beautiful by what it endures. And what we suffer will make glory abound to God. Did you hear me? 
what we suffer will abound glory to God. And that is God's chief purpose in all of this. It's to make us beautiful and glorious, but even more than that, it is to bring glory to his name. That is the chief end of God. That's his chief purpose. Listen to what the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 6-7. He says to the suffering churches, to the persecuted saints, In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, joy and grief, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So if this is all true, church, then what shall we do? What are we to do? The Apostle P Peter, P.D. <laughs> the Apostle Pete, he answers us this question in 1 Peter 4, 1 through 2. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. New King, the American church, it has not armed itself with this attitude. I hope you realize that. It has not armed itself with this attitude. The American church has not embraced God's plan for suffering to set us apart. It does not rejoice in suffering as God's plan. It prays away suffering. It mitigates suffering by any means necessary. It compromises its Christian witness in order to avoid it. But when the Christian witness embraces that God's plan is to set apart us through suffering, then we are free to witness without fear of suffering. Instead, we boldly embrace it. So the Christian witness can trust his rich plan for us even when they destroy us, even when they revile us, even when they persecute us, even when they hate us. For there is one who knows you, and there is one who cares deeply for you. And he cares for you even through and by your suffering. May the Lord teach us to joyfully embrace his plan for our glory. As Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So this is the third principle we learn. The Lord values you, New King Church. He does not allow our suffering, our persecution, our death, apart from his good and pleasing and beautiful will, which cares deeply for our good and our glory. The fourth principle that Jesus encourages the Christian witness with is in verse 32. 
the Lord will confess you as you confessed him. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. What a fear, and yet what a hope. What a hope. What a thing to be hoped for. As we confess Christ boldly and without fear before others, so Christ will also confess our names to his Father. I want to ask you a question, church. The way you confess Christ, is that the way that you want Jesus to confess you before his Father? Listen to the way that you confess him. Is that the way you want him to speak of you? Do you acknowledge him before others? Do you acknowledge him boldly? Say, yes, I know him. I know him. Or are you ashamed of him? I know his ways, and I, I, I can't say they're awesome. I know our culture doesn't say that for sure. I can't say that. I, I wouldn't tell you that. Who am I? What do you think you'll hear him say of you to his father? Will you hear, depart from me? I never knew you. Then it will be too late to acknowledge him. It will be too late to say you love him or that you fear him because you failed the test. No, church, we want to hear Christ confidently acknowledge us before his Father. We want to hear him say, yes, I know him. I know him. I know my precious one. I know him so well. I know every hair on his head. He declared me before man, this guy. He declared me before men even when they hated him, even when they abused him and misused him, even when they killed him. He confessed my name. Dad, this guy confessed my name. He loved me with a love with which I loved him. I know him. To be famous in the Father's eyes, to be marked by Christ as one who stood for him, what a precious thing that is. What a precious hope we have. May we reach that blessing, church. May we hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of your master. The Lord will confess you as you confessed him. So that's the fourth and final principle with which Jesus encourages his Christian witness. So after giving his Christian witnesses these principles to encourage them for the work, what final word does Christ end with in verses 40 through 42? Last week, we talked in detail about verses 34 through 39, but notice the repetition of the word whoever in that passage. He's giving universal principles there, which are largely focused on the posture of the Christian witness until we get to this passage, until we get to verses 40 through 42, the whoever changes. He says this in verse 40, whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. 
What an interesting promise he gives for the hearers of the Christian witness. As one treats the witnesses of the Lord, so you treat the Lord himself. That is the weight of the Christian witness. That is the weight of it. I've had people say to me, you know, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I might believe it if only Jesus would appear to me and say it to me himself. But he has sent to you all that he has ever promised to you that he will send you. He has sent you a Christian witness. He has sent you a witness. And you must deal with what he has given you. Jesus said in Luke 10, 16, the one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. If this is the weight of the Christian witness, then church, what sort of witnesses must we be in our courage? Church, what sort of people must we be in our willingness to take the initiative to share the gospel boldly? For how rich is the reward for those who embrace our witness? How rich is their reward? Let us not steal that from them. Let us not withhold that glory from them. Let them share in our righteousness that is given by the gospel. In conclusion, all these things being said, the weight of the Christian witness, it is great. The hatred we will face, it is real. But the promises that we have, they are so powerful and true and good. And so church, I have to ask you, where are you at today? What do you see of yourself in this word? And are you willing to seek the Lord in it? Bow your heads and close your eyes. Wherever you are at, you will have some time now to deal with the Lord. Perhaps you're not a believer. Perhaps you've never accepted this Christian witness. Perhaps you heard of the fear of the Lord, and you feel the weight of it when you think of this wrath of God upon you. Well, I implore you today, be reconciled to God. Peace with God is offered you today through Jesus. It's a free gift put right in your face right now to be received as a free gift if only you will simply believe. Listen to me, the blood of Christ, it is powerful enough to cover you from the wrath of God. It is powerful enough to free you from any consciousness of guilt it is powerful enough to cleanse your conscience. You can be clean, be made perfect forever in the eyes of God. For one time and forever, he has perfected his saints by the blood of Christ. You have only to believe in him, and you will be pure in the eyes of God. So receive that gift today. Deal with the Lord. Confess to him that you believe he's able to do it. Believe that he does hear you even right now. 
And that as a good father, he will give you this good gift freely, if only you'll ask him. So believe, turn from your sins, and be baptized. You can even be baptized as a proclamation of this today. The water is right there. I could fall in it right now if I walked over there. You can be baptized today. So show your obedience. Believer, if you are a believer, and you know that your witness cannot be defined by what we're talking about today. It cannot be defined as a courageous Christian witness. I want you also to deal with the Lord. Confess it to the Lord. Cling to these promises that he has reminded you of today. And believe what he has said. And finally, I want you to do this. I want you to ask for boldness. Listen to this final passage I'm going to read you. And allow this word to penetrate your hearts. And receive the boldness that is promised you from the Holy Spirit. Let him fill you, Christian. Let him change your daily Christian witness. Receive from him these words. Listen to Acts 4. The prayer of the saints of the early persecuted Christians. In this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I want this for you, church. I want this for our church so badly. I want this for me so badly. Let us now, each of us, deal with the Lord in our hearts as he moves you. And then I'll end us in a word of prayer. Holy Spirit, fall on us. Convict us. Every person in this room, wherever we are at, convict us. Lead us to the gospel. Lead us to the cross. Grant us boldness, Lord. These people here, myself. Grant us a fearlessness. Let us not be afraid when we look out at the world when we look at the people that you've put in our lives, our families, our coworkers, our government, whoever it is, Lord, let us not be afraid. Let us fear you. And let us embrace your plans for us, God. Do this work in us right now in the name of Jesus Christ by the power of your spirit. 
We confess your blood. We confess your power to do this. Let there be fruit from this, God, from the decisions that are made today. Let us proclaim to each other and confess, God did this in me today. God did this in me today. And now I'm going to go forward and speak the truth. I'm going to proclaim it. Lord, do this work in us for your glory so that glory may abound to you. We pray all these things in the name of your blessed Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.